Hello, fellow griever. You have found The Leftover Pieces, Suicide Lost Conversations, and I am Melissa, your podcast host. I am with you on this journey because my 21-year-old son, Alex, died by suicide on August 7th of 2016. And since starting this podcast in 2020, in 2021, I felt a nudge to take the leftover pieces further and have now opened an online support community as well. There, I lead parents who have lost a child by suicide from survival toward hope and into healing. The website is also a resource hub, a connecting point, if you will, for all survivors of suicide loss. You can find me there on theleftoverpieces.com. I am always open to suggestions for episode topics and welcome referrals if you know someone I should have a conversation with here on the podcast. So now I invite you to join me for real conversations, candid talk on hard topics surrounding the loss of loved ones by suicide. I talk to other loss survivors, mental health experts, advocates, and on alternate weeks, I offer my own thoughts. Here, every week, we explore the questions that haunt us, seek the courage to uncover the healing tools within us, and offer the comfort of a community that we all need so very much. It's true that our hearts and lives have been shattered, but come along with me, and together, let's choose to find meaning and even happiness amid the leftover pieces before us. Welcome. Hello, fellow grievers. Today, you have reached season three, episode 10. Wow, we're already in episode 10. Today, I'm going to release a conversation that I had a little while ago with Lindsay Doolittle. Lindsay is one of the very first guests I had on the podcast back in season one. She was episode six. I will tag that episode in the show notes so you can go straight to it if you'd like to listen to that one either before or after this episode, because I I think that would be nice. It's We do not have the same discussion today as we did two years ago, or it wasn't quite two years ago, but it was almost two years ago. And that episode, again, it was episode six of season one. It was called Above the Rug, A Suicide Widow's Tale. So today, I wanted to have this conversation again with Lindsay in order to do a couple of things. I want to be able to update you on where she's at since I spoke to her almost two years ago, because I think showing progression in our suicide loss journeys is really important. It helps piece these stories together and not have it be just one dimensional. But also because Lindsay has gone on to do some some amazing things with her advocacy and with her life as it is now. And I wanted her to be able to talk about how her children's book, Good Night, Mr. Vincent Van Gogh, and her art exhibition, Faces After Suicide, have both become short films. One's a short documentary and the other has become a short animation. So she has added film director to her repertoire of advocacy projects 
and has some other things planned. And I just can't wait to share with you our conversation. She ends it in a way that really ties the whole thing up so nicely about how, you know, her hopes are not the same as they used to be. And Lindsay and I share such a united mission of wanting to create awareness and safe spaces for survivors. So I hope that you will uh, listen to this and also make time to listen to her first episode on the podcast. And I will link that in the show notes. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into the episode with Lindsay. Welcome, Lindsay. Hey, hey. So <laughs> like I said in the intro, I have Lindsay back for a second time. She was here in season one. She was one of my very first episodes. She was actually episode six, which was only like the second or third conversation that I released. So she's an OG to the podcast. <laughs> and now she gets to add director and filmmaker to her title of all of the other things that I listed in her intro. So of a short documentary and short animation. Did I get that right, Lindsay? Yes. Yes. Okay. So like I said, and like is in the show notes, her book that I know I talk about, I have referenced in many of my podcast episodes, including a lot of my show notes, and it's on my website. Good night, Mr. Vincent Van Gogh. Is it the one that was made into a short documentary or a short animation? The book was made into a short animation. Okay. So that was made into a short animation and her art installation Faces After Suicide was made into a short documentary. Yes. And I would like to have you start by taking a moment, even though I am going to reference your first episode in the show notes, if people would like to go listen, I would like to have you tell us your lost story and then we can go from there. Yeah. In 2015, my late husband, Sergeant Brett Doolittle of the Kansas City, Kansas Police Department, he died by suicide. And, you know, I'm the postvention side. So I talk a lot more on what it means to be a lost survivor. So, yeah, <laughs> I know some people ask about the prevention side, but I'm really the postvention side. I'm my heart goes out to those who have lost someone to suicide. And I'm really not the best person to talk about prevention, though I think postvention is prevention. prevention. It can be and how you, you talk about it. And I've learned that night uh, when I found Brett that suicide was different. And the police department, after I called them, when I found my husband, I was on my hands and my knees screaming for help. And nobody came to help me from the department. They all kept their distance. They stood back. They watched me dry heave on my concrete. And it did not feel right. And even the first police officer, the way that they spoke to me and what they said did not feel good. He told me to sit on my couch and stay there. There wasn't like, we're all there for you, Lindsay. You know, everything's going to be okay. This isn't your fault. It was sit on your, your couch and stay there. 
the second person that came to me said I, the police officer asked if I sign a consent to search form. And I happily signed it because all I wanted was for them to bring back Brett. And I, I wanted to do anything I could to help them. Uh, I was thinking law and order in my head. I love watching mm-hmm. law and order SVU. And uh, that's what just played through my head. I have to do everything I can to help them. And these are my husband's colleagues and I, I, uh, I want to help. And little did I know by signing that they came into my home and they took everything they could to point my marriage as the catalyst to my husband's suicide. They took marriage counseling receipts. They took my journal. They, I told them where the suicide letter was in the home. Yeah, I, it didn't, it just didn't feel right what was going on, especially like the days after two, like being interviewed by the police. I was told they weren't going to be warm and fuzzy and they sure weren't. <laughs> they, they came in and it, they said they had to rule out that it wasn't a homicide yet. I'm the only one being interviewed, you know? <laughs> so, you know, I laugh now. It's not funny to me. I just think about that, what they were doing. I don't want them to do it to somebody else. That's why I speak up. And if I stay quiet, then I'm going to be part of the problem here. And my whole reason I've come out speaking up is not to be against the police departments. I want to work with the police departments. They just don't want to work with me. His police department does not want to talk to me. They have shunned me. They have blamed my marriage and the police report and the autopsy report. And I've come in my journey where I'm almost seven years out that I hope to support the lost survivors and help promote forward thinking on raising awareness. I definitely want changes for law enforcement, but it's not just law enforcement this happens in. So I know a lot of lost survivors out there are blamed for their loved one's death. And I've said, if it was my choice, he would still be here. I don't think of it as a choice. I feel like Brett ran out of choices, but some people see it as like they did it because of that person. And, you know, Brett wrote in his suicide letter that he blamed the police department and that I was the one that kept him going, though those things were left out of the police report. Several things were left out of the police report. So he blamed the police department. The police department blamed the marriage. Really, they blame me. You know, they won't talk to me, but I don't blame anyone. I always to say that Brett's life exceeded his coping skills. Yeah, I understand that. Definitely. I know we've talked a little bit about, I feel the same way. I don't blame anyone for my son's death, although we had complicating circumstances as well, but it's, he he ran out of options, right? Exactly. So maybe that's why, I mean, not that I didn't already know this, but listening to you talk in the very beginning, I thought this is why having Lindsay on again matters so much to me because 
I'm about postvention way more than I am anything else too. And I don't know about you, but sometimes, and I actually hadn't thought about this angle, but here we are talking about it. And I think sometimes it's automatically assumed that all suicide loss survivors are going to be out advocating for prevention. And I get contacted a lot. And I always tell people that I definitely want to work adjacent with and support of, because like you, I believe postvention is a form of prevention. And I know that there are a lot of suicide loss survivors that go different routes. And I always tell people, because I work with a lot of loss survivors, that your heart will tell you where your heart is. And my heart is with other parents that have lost their child to suicide. And that's why the website is where it's at. It's for parents who have lost a child to suicide. The podcast is broader. It is about suicide loss conversations. But even in my stuff, I say it's about, it's not just about suicide and suicide loss. It's about destigmatizing grief in general and being there for people after they've lost someone. And I think that's just overlooked an awful lot. And it breaks my heart every time you tell your story about how you were just left to sit there. And in a moment that you're thinking, I just want to do absolutely everything I can to support these people that of course are my family and going to support me, right? That's what I'm sure you were thinking is this is Brett's police family and they're going to come alongside of me. And just like you said, an SVU or whatever, they're going to take you under their wing and we're going to all figure this out. And to have had them have done completely the opposite, I'm going to not make an assumption, but instead ask you, am I understanding correctly that even to this day, they still haven't, they, they're still in the same place they were before. And you're still not in good graces with them either direction. I'm not saying you care to be in their good graces, but I'm just saying it's still a, I just would have hoped at this point, I know you've had some really good interactions with other police departments. No, they, no, they, they have not done the right thing and reached out to me. And even though I, I mean, there's, there was even an interview in Kansas city with the police chief on this, where I spoke up and said they didn't do the right thing. And he acknowledged that they could have done better yet. He still doesn't. He's now retired, but that doesn't mean he still can't do the right thing. Right. And even the new police chief contacted them to have, you know, just to have a discussion of what happened and where are they now? And we were going to have a meeting. It was right before COVID. And then they canceled. I got an email from the secretary that they canceled. And then I never heard anything back. And some people have asked me, did you reach out again? Maybe they forgot. I'm like, I have come to the point. I have reached out so many times that I'm done. And I'm at peace with that. Like I will, because it just hurts so much when you are rejected or you are, (laughs) you're forgotten about. I mean, like that, it feels terrible. And I don't want that for my life anymore. I look now to how do I want to live my life? And it's not by reaching out every few months to the police department or every few years to the police department and, and not hearing anything back. I can't do that to myself anymore. So there's 
other ways I do uh, advocacy or reaching out, but it's not through them. (laughs) Right. And that's what I was going to say is just to be clear, I feel like your outlook on it under the circumstances is as healthy as it can be. And it is for as healthy as it should be for you. So, cause you're the one that matters, whether it's healthy for them or other people is irrelevant. And I want you to talk about the fact that even though this is your experience with the Kansas city, Kansas police department, and I know that there are other police departments where this type of thing has been an issue. So there could be widows listening that have had a similar experience there are also police departments that do things in a good way and have, have yes. that you have worked with. And I'd love you to speak a little bit about that before we, we we're going to go back in a minute to the, the books and the films. Cause I want to talk about that a little bit, but let's stay on this train for right now. Yeah. In Kansas and Roland park, I was invited to come out by their police chief um, and speak to their department and that was incredible. I mean, what a huge step because you, when you lose a spouse to suicide, you lo- you'll lose people out of your life. Okay. And then when it's a cop husband, who's died by suicide, you're going to lose even more people. Right. But then when you speak up and say the department has some bad behaviors that they need to change, you're going to lose even more people. Okay. And I could even take it a step further with other things I've spoken out on. But I mean, like, it's it's just funny when you're speaking about things that make people uncomfortable, you start losing people. But again, I'm not doing it for to make people comfortable here. We're trying to raise that awareness. And, you know, Chief Smith at the, the Roland Park Police Department, I give him prompts. I've been treated like a disease. I don't even say like garbage because garbage gets picked up once in a while. I, I feel like people just stay away from diseases, you know, and he invited me in and he still reaches out to me to check in with me. And what a person he is proactive. He's not reactive. And that's amazing. So there, there are really amazing departments out there that are, you know, trying to have change with this subject matter and other subject matters. So that's growth. It is growth. And I think that's a good way to talk about the other thing that you just said, which is loss in the losses that occur from the loss can be extremely significant. And especially when it's to suicide and especially when it involves other situations and you are someone who's willing to to speak out and speak up. And I think you've taken the approach similarly to what I have, which is even though at times we're human, so at times it does get overwhelming and it is very hurtful, but I've chosen to turn in the direction of the amazing people and situations that I have gained that I would have never gained before. And I have some of the most amazing people in my life now that yes, are because of the loss. I look at them as gifts that Alex has given me it's really sad that it takes that kind of thing sometimes to find what really matters and to find the, the right people to connect with. But sometimes that's what happens from trauma and tragedy is the growth. And we can either focus on the devastation or we can focus on the growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's back up just a little bit to talking about what I, one of the things I wanted to hear you talk about for sure is I love life. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yes, if you want to. (laughs) Your journey from loss to book, to art, to film, however that that I may have this, the sequence wrong. Obviously the loss was first, but you were an artist first, but as far as the art and the book and things that came from your loss, the suicide piece of it, talk about how that kind of, how it all happened, because I want to be able to kind of show the progression that this, you didn't overnight become an author and then decide to become that it was all part of little seeds of hope and little seeds of growth and building on something and then kind of how that, that all happened. Let's see. It was, it's in the beginning, right after Brett died, it was just being able to survive and coping in so many unhealthy ways and trying to make sense of something that I wasn't going to be able to make sense of and doing my own investigation. I wasn't, I wasn't obsessed. I was consumed with everything. And I needed to like, I just needed to, I I needed to find out answers for myself and having that process. And that was, you know, something that kept my mind on something. It wasn't, uh, I just, I was coping in a lot of unhealthy ways. And so then, I mean, as an elementary art teacher, I you know, my students were asking about Officer Doolittle because I he ate lunch with me at the school. They wanted to know what happened to him, and I didn't know how to explain it to them. And they were saying he died in the line of duty. He got shot. He burned up in a fire, and none of it was true. So I went and talked with a former principal of mine and asked, could I at least say he was sick? And she said, I wouldn't even go that far. And that made me feel uh, so much more ashamed and so isolated. And I, I felt like it was such a roadblock, but there was, it's a, there's a way to go around those roadblocks. So I, that's when I started to write my book. I don't even really remember if the, the book idea came in first into my head or if it was the art. I mean, I joined the support group right away, like three weeks after Brett died. And I, uh, I was, I couldn't wait to get to the support group and hear what other people had to say about their loved ones. So I knew I wasn't alone and, and being united with other lost survivors that, I mean, I thought I was the only one. So going to the support group, but at the same time, I wanted to keep my hands busy when I was there. I'm hearing everybody's stories. It can get, you can take it a lot on at one time. And so I kept my hands busy by drawing people in the the group. And thus began the many growing wall of drawings that I've done for my art exhibition And so I don't know if it was the book, if it was the art that came first, I can say that it was the unhealthy coping skills that I had, like, (laughs) just, that was the first thing, like, you know, cause you're not taught how to cope. And so I did everything I could to numb my pain. And then when the, the book and the art, like, I just wanted to do something to, help my students understand, my nieces and nephews, the art. I wanted to start showing others what we go through and hearing how others were blamed. I wanted people to hear that. 
you know, the department's not listening to me. Uh, like it, it just, it came to like this big messy storm of just ideas that I had that I, this was my way of lashing out. Basically, this is how I lashed out was by the art exhibit and the book. So I think it was an accidental act of genius because, you know, you were just coping. Like you said, you were coping. <laughs> it was one of, it was probably the healthiest way you were coping, but at the time <laughs> it was just a byproduct of something you needed to do to get something out of you. Right. And I, I know I told you this before we were recording, but the first time I met Lindsay, because I did not, I probably will, probably won't put that in the bio, but Lindsay is a Kansas city and I'm a Kansas city. And I realize everybody knows I'm in Florida now, but I met Lindsay. I don't know. I, we just, so we talked about that earlier. I'm going to say it was probably within the first six months or less of having lost Alex. So probably five years ago. So Lindsay was, you know, over a year into her journey, but she, I my biggest memory of Lindsay, besides hearing her tell you shared that night and you did tell a lot about your story, you were drawing the whole time or writing, drawing to, you know, you were, you would look up and then you would look down when you weren't talking. And it, it just struck me because I thought I just saw somebody who was taking everything inside of them and putting, I mean, I, that was very apparent to me from the very beginning that you were trying to cope. That's the best way I know how to put it out. And I feel like that while you say you were coping in many ways that were unhealthy, the fact that you were trying so hard is so important. I think you weren't just letting it sit inside of you. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, having an outlet of some sort, they're not going to always all be healthy because we're very imperfect and this is extremely painful. So the fact that something really good came out of it, lots of really good things, you know, hopefully you give yourself credit for that. Yeah, thanks. The book is beautiful. The art installation is beautiful. I don't even know if there's a place to see the films. Like I've, I recently shared, you had on your Facebook page, the one that's going to be in uh, the showing for Scotland. And because of the Scotland, whatever film festival that I think is coming up and Scotland's not a very big country. And through the podcasting world, I know um, a podcaster that actually has a whole sports network podcasting, like, like eight podcasts in their sports network called across the pond. He is in Scotland. And so I, I, I cut and pasted it to him and said, is this near you? <laughs> and gosh, he love him. <laughs> he just reached back out a few days ago and said, he sent me a voice message and said in his wonderful Scottish accent, he map quested it and showed me where it was at in relationship to him and said that he knows people up there. And he actually knows a few people that have been affected by suicide. And so he wants them to know so he can support my friend. And I was like, what a small world and how wonderful. Yeah. And I want you to talk a little bit about where you've been because this, the films have now gone like <laughs> global, right? Going to film festivals all over. How is that whole thing even, is it still surreal? Yeah. And, you know, making both these films, I didn't think about making them as films. I was thinking of making them as resources. That's what they were to me. And I was like debating, well, am I going to put this like on YouTube? 
I'll just put it on Facebook. Like, what do I do with this? It was my mom's friend that encouraged me to enter film festivals. And I didn't even think it was appropriate for it. And she goes, no, no, you need to do this. And so I went on another journey of figuring out how do you put this on film festivals? And and my whole goal was, I just want to create awareness. So I didn't say I'm going to win film festivals. If they select my films to be shown at the film festivals in front of an audience, then I've already won. So I... I put it out there and immediately, I mean, this started back in June of 2021. Immediately, I had all these different festivals that wanted to share and show and screen the the films. And I just didn't think that would ever happen. And, and then being invited out to the festivals and to talk with the audiences that, yeah, it seems surreal. And then at the same time, like as I've gone to each festival, I've always had people that want to come up and they want to share their stories with me. And I am there to listen and I will stay there as long as I can. So I can hear people's stories. And, you know, that's where, I mean, that's, this is why I, I do it. And so it feels good that people are listening and at the same time, you know, I know that I know why some of the people who come to the festivals and know about like my films, they, I know why they're there and I don't, you know, that part disheartens me, but if we can like share that hope of support and that, you know, I don't think that things ever get better. Like Brett's death will never be better to me. I just think things have changed for me over these almost seven years. And that's what I want to share with people. Cause in the beginning, I always thought it was going to be hopeless and agony and despair. And that was going to be my whole life. And even a year and a half after Brett died, I, my life almost exceeded my coping skills. And I don't want other people to feel like this is what their whole life is going to be like. There's going to be moments of happiness that we can live good lives. Yeah, I think so too. And I love that people are listening and that your films are one more way for people to do that. Where have you exactly been? Like just for my own knowledge, where I know you've been to a handful. How many did you go to? I just recently got back from Scottsdale, Arizona. And before that was Ireland. You know, it's just like hopping around different places. I always wanted to go to Ireland. So I saw there was a festival in Dundalk, Ireland, and, you know, got to go out there. There was filmmakers from the movie Gladiator and Braveheart that were there. I was like, this is so surreal. And seeing other filmmakers who are starting out and seeing their ideas and trying to get their messages out there too, and networking with other people. And yeah, that's is, it's definitely surreal. Has, um, has there been anything that, have you found it uniting in a sad way that it seems like people, especially survivors, that's where your heart is, all over the place, share a lot of the same feelings? Or have you found it to be received or presented differently 
in different areas, whether you've been there or not. I know that you still then probably get feedback or something. Have you noticed now that there's a global look at what Lindsay Doolittle from Kansas City is doing and saying? What's your thoughts on globally the response? Is it are we all just humans no matter what? I guess that's what I guess I'm hoping, but have you received different response? from different areas that has shocked you at all? I will say one thing that stood out to me, because I, you know, I've connected with many other widows of law enforcement suicides here in the United States. And knowing that it's a growing problem here, how we're being blamed and shunned. But then the animation won an award in New Delhi, India. And because of COVID reasons couldn't go, they weren't opening up to people outside of India. And so we were doing a live um, stream and there was a a live audience there and the festival uh, director, he was asking me questions about my animation and he didn't know that my late husband was a police officer. So I'm telling him about that. And he stopped me and said his dad was a police officer and he understood what I was saying because his mother didn't get support and she was shunned and the family didn't get support from the police department either. So it makes me think that this is not just a United States problem. So I feel like there needs to be work in a lot of different places. Yeah, it sounds like it. Unfortunately, that's interesting. Sorry, I was thinking about something a minute ago and my grief brain took over and I got so lost in listening to what you were saying. But so what's next? Like, are no, before we go to what's next, is there places, I mean, can, how does somebody watch them as a film and as a short documentary? And as an, is that even possible for the public or is this like a private you have to be at a film festival to see it thing right now like film festivals they don't want you to put your films on any kind of social media outlet because they want it there at the festivals so you know the next one and let's see I think I'm going to a festival in Oklahoma coming up so if you're in Oklahoma and you want to come out (laughs) there's going to be one I don't I haven't heard back from Florida yet but there's a Florida film festival too coming up because a lot of people have been asking on Florida to be progressive or anything (laughs) (laughs) hey you know never know um so I I always try to you know have people go to the film festivals. A lot of the film festivals. If there's will, one in Florida. I will be there. There's sometimes since, you know, some can't do it because of COVID. They do it online. So I'll try to direct people to that. Once the film festivals have finished, though, for this year, because I have some that are going like I haven't heard back and I'll hear back in like November. After that, Yeah, then I have to have some decision making of where do these films go? Like, how do people view these? And right now my website's being rebuilt. So I will be, you know, coming up with some ideas because I want this to be for the public to see, you know, I'm that's what I, I wanted it for initially. So I'll try to think about how people can view this in a an easy way. Good. I can't wait to see how that unfolds because I can't wait to see them. The animation was narrated by your niece. Am I correct? Yeah. Uh, Mercedes. 
who is the, the, the drawing that you did for the front, right? For the front of the book? Yes. That's uh, her? Yeah. I know people on listening to my podcast can see me pointing to your book, but I'm holding up her book and the illustration on the front and the, the book was inspired by Mercedes, right? Right. Yeah. Her, she was grieving her uncle Brett and showing, you know, grief spurts that were similar to mine and asking what happened and why. And so, yeah, I based it off of Mercedes, but the book was for not only my students, but my nieces and nephews. And so, yeah, Mercedes, I felt like it was just, you know, right to have her narrate and also it would make it more approachable, I feel, for people who might be hesitant on this subject matter, that if they heard it coming from a child, hearing that voice for the animation, knowing that it's okay that you do talk about it with your littles. Yeah. That's, I felt like it only right to do that. How does she feel about it with going all over the globe and people, how does she feel? How old is she now? Oh, she's going to kill me. Like if <laughs> She doesn't listen to my podcast, Lindsay. I go by grade levels. I don't know what she listens to. She's in seventh grade now. So yeah, she's super excited. And then also in the beginning of the animation, the title of the film, you hear a couple of voices say the title and it was Mercedes and her sister Eliana and her brother Alejandro. And I always don't, I don't want to leave out my youngest nephew, Vicente, because he helped out too. When we were recording in the studio, he and his father went to the park so we wouldn't hear him playing. So I appreciate Vicente's contribution too. <laughs> so I wanted to make sure, like, I wanted to get, I just wanted All to of them in there. Yeah. Family, yeah, family project. So they know that, that they're contributing too, like they're helping and these are your nieces and nephews on your side or Brett's side? My side. Your side. Your sisters? My little sister, your Christine. little sisters. Yeah, that's what I thought. So, well, th- that part just warms my heart. I, You know, it's such, it's, as we know, a sad reason, but it just warms my heart that it's been a family affair and that there are so many parents, that parents, teachers, that struggle with how to speak to their children. And there are still so few resources out there, as you know, there have been a few others, but I think you kind of blazed a trail lady. So it's, I just, I can't say enough as a mom, as a grandma, I did never have to talk to little kids myself, but this is what I would have used if I had to. So I feel like you, you found such a appropriate, eloquent way to go about it. So, and the fact that you, went on to do turn them into films. And so if you then redo your website and put the films out there, eventually when you're allowed, what do you see the next part? Because this is a good way to segue into, you know, a really beautiful conclusion to have you talk about how hope has changed for you because other widows that may be listening, whether they are police widows or widows and their husband did something else, they're still, you're still united by being widows. And I would love to hear you talk about how hope has changed for you over the last six and a half plus years. I realize you'll be at seven years in April. So you're really close to that, but how that's changed and what 
your plans are going forward. Does this ever, I know I've been asked this, so that's why I'm going to ask you. Does it ever change to the point that you see yourself? If I tell you what people think have said to me before, maybe it'll make my question make more sense. People sometimes say or think and go in this roundabout way of almost insinuating that once I'm over this or have healed enough, or I'm using all these crazy air quotes, but I feel like, how do you put the right words on this? But they're trying to say, when you're better, you won't have to do this anymore, right, Melissa, type of thing. They somehow see what I'm doing as a symptom of like, I'm not okay. Like I'm still, and and I'm okay. I'm as okay as I can be today. I'm going to be, you know, I'm never going to be over Alex's death because he's my son. You don't get over that. I'm learning to live alongside of it. And I get a little bit more graceful with that as time goes by. I have more tools. I know how to cope with it better, but I don't get over it. And so I don't know that I'll ever quit. In some ways, this is my expression of love for Alex, but it's also just a part of my journey at this point. And I can't help the fact that this was where my path went. And so I don't see it as something that I necessarily will ever go, okay, done that grief thing. Mm -hmm. But do you ever feel, I mean, what's next for Lindsay? And are you, do you see doing this type of advocacy how do we say always we can't talk about always for a while (laughs) do you think that this is something you're still going to continue doing I have another film that I started working on and it's another documentary it's blue live shattered and it's giving voice to the families of law enforcement suicides they are eager to have their voices finally heard. I've uh, done a lot of interviewing. Uh, it's not done yet. You know, still working on that. And I used to focus on the whys. You know, why did Brett do this? Why did this happen to me? And why is the police department treating me like this? And now I focus on the hows of how can I help support others and. You know, the support group, they did right by me and I want to help do right by others now. You know, I want to pass it on, you know, like today, like my hope is that I can hopefully get my guest bedroom (laughs) fixed up finally. (laughs) Like I try to think about like, how do I want to live my life? I don't want to dwell on Brett's death. It's there every day. Like there's no like erasing that from my, my head. And I sometimes have to, when I say dwell, like I, I don't want to be in it all the time. If I do that to myself, I'll be like not living my life. I'll be in pain and I have to take steps back and I have to distract myself in other ways. So I write, I see family, I travel. I still have my advocacy art to help others. And I I don't know exactly what I'm going to be doing in the the future, but today I'm okay saying like, I'm fixing up my guest bedroom and I need to go grocery shopping. And, you know, like I also like was with Brett for 17 years since I was 15 years old. And I, after Brett died, I felt like I was damaged goods and wanted to prove to everyone that 
I wasn't. And I was obsessed with being in relationships and hopping from one to the next. And a lot of them were really unhealthy in the beginning. And they've gotten better They're recently. <laughs> they've gotten better. I've met some nice people, just didn't work out. And But the first time in my life, though, I'm, I've said, I'm okay not being with someone. And I'm okay being with myself right now and figuring out what does Lindsay want? You know, what is Lindsay like? And I moved into a new place. It took me a long time to move out of my house. And I've been living in a, a really nice place. And I sold and donated a lot of Brett's things. I have a memory box that I keep things in, but I am not surrounded by, you know, the memories of us now. So I get to focus on like, what does Lindsay like? Cause Brett was the decorator. So I get to like, think of, okay, now what kind of, you know, decorations do I want in my home? So that's exciting to me. And I don't think that living my life and being always in pain, that's not living, you know, being excited about things. That's part of living. I don't want to I don't want to dwell always on his death. I have my moments, but they are fewer and further between now. I know that you didn't put that in a specific order, but you said a lot in what you just said, especially for those of us listening that have lost someone. And I was just putting myself in as much as I could in the shoes of another widow thinking there's so much gold in what you just said from the fact that in the beginning, if you were six months after, you wouldn't have been thinking about making your guest bedroom up. You wouldn't have just been thinking, I need to go to the grocery store. It would have been somebody saying, Lindsay, when did you go to the grocery store last? And you wouldn't have cared about your spare bedroom, right? So, and those that's probably what some of those people are thinking. And so to hear that now you have regular thoughts and that instead of the grief and the loss being all of you and all consuming, it's just a part of your life. It's a part the same way a lots of other things are a part. And that's what I have tried to tell people. And you said it so much better is it's, it's just a piece of my life. I have these conversations and you do what you do is because it's time to be willing to face the hard things and to talk about the hard things and to be there for people that need you to be there for them and realize that life isn't always happy and good. It's a mixture of all the things. This is just a piece of our life. It's a very important piece of life, but it's by no means our whole life. And I hope that in itself is a really good message to end with is that the you do eventually learn to live alongside of this more successfully. And it doesn't have to be everything that you are. And that doesn't diminish the love that you have for the lo- the one that we lost. Yeah. My pain doesn't have to equal how much I care about, you know, wh- what happened. That's what I used to think. Like I had to show everybody, this is how much I care about everything. I have to show them how much pain I'm in. And that's not how I live my life anymore. Yeah. In some ways, I think we, we want, we do that because we're trying to make sure everybody knows how much we love them. Right. It's almost like 
And and we're doing it to ourselves as much as we are. It's almost sometimes probably more internal of, you know, if I feel this way or let this go for a minute, then doesn't mean that I love them less somehow or something. And that's all part of the growth journey as you do. If you do the work, you do come to realize that's not the case, right? So Yeah. And I know this is probably a totally different podcast, but even like with my feelings of my late husband and finding out a lot of secrets that have tainted memories, my feelings have changed on him. And, and I think that's okay too. It's hard to put Brett in a, because I know how much I loved him, but it has definitely changed since that time. Right. And you're probably, I'm 100% sure, and you are too, that you're not alone in that because I'm just going to say that a lot of, a lot of people that in their life are carrying things that are hard for them. And so to think that you're the only one that had things come out afterwards, I'm sure you're not. And that's just an added layer of something else to, you know, work into how you're coping now versus how you did then. So And some of it's just a journey, right? You'll be in a different place a year from now and five years from now. And I'm just so glad that you were willing to come on and talk about this stuff again and to go in a different way. And yeah, you're right. We could do a whole different podcast about that in itself. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. (laughs) I will put all the things in the show notes and then I will... As Lindsay's uh, journey through the films and all the things progress, everybody can count on me to keep them updated and to share with everybody where they can find, but, you know, they can still find you on the website and you are up doing that or redoing that to update it. So anything else you want to say before we finish today? Thank you for all that you do, Melissa. And I appreciate you listening and always you know, it's comforting to have this safe space that you create to talk about the uncomfortable. So thank you. Well, you're welcome. I do it for the same reasons that you do. I'm thankful that we're still in each other's lives. So definitely. Thanks for coming on and we will talk soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Grievers. It is my hope that from today, you will take that which serves you and simply leave the rest. If you connect with what you have heard, please subscribe to get notified of my new episodes every week, and please feel free to share it with others in the suicide loss community. If you are so led, I would also be honored if you would leave a review so that others might find us more easily. You can find me and all ways to connect with me at my Instagram, The Leftover Pieces. I want you to know that I know how very, very hard life is now. It's true that we will never be the same, but we are going to be okay. We will figure this out somehow, together, and we will keep our loved ones with us because there is no getting over or past grief, only learning to live more gracefully alongside it. Only through talk can we keep their memories alive, learn to live again, and bring some awareness so that less will suffer. Join me again next week, and we will keep the talk going. We will sign off today, as always, with the wise words of my Alex's favorite, Peter Pan. Never say goodbye, because goodbye means going away, and going away means forgetting. Grievers, no one here is forgetting. 
talk soon.